0: You're listening to Beyond the Ordinary, a show about the companies, founders, and ideas that are shaping the future of health, science,
1: and financial technology. Here's your host, Tommy Martin. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Beyond the Ordinary. I'm so thankful you've joined us today, and we have a wonderful guest. His name is Brian Awe, and he actually comes from a village in northern Ghana came over to the United States at age 23 and now is leading a venture capital fund in New York City of all places. And he has become the next generation supply chain technology venture capital specialist. So we are so thankful to have you here today, Brian. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Well, Brian, we always like to start and ask our listeners about their big break moment. What it was that, you know, was there a moment along the way that they say has kind of helped get them where they are? And there's a piece of that we're actually going to save. So I've never told our listeners this before, but I'm actually going to tell them what my personal question for the end of our show is. I am excited to ask you about your perspective on the American dream. You know, you came here from Ghana at age twenty-three. Yep. So let's save that part for the end. end. Yeah. But anything along the way, I, I would love our listeners to hear how you go from a
0: village I'm a, a village. Vi- <laughs> yeah, yeah. From so. from from going to the farm with my grandpa, who was a subsistence farmer and herding goats and cattle when I was a teenager, to running a venture fund in New York. Yes. So 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 there were two big breaks, and I think the. The thing that's important for listeners to know about me is that I'm all about information, research, studying stuff, drawing conclusions, and then taking action on what I've learned. And so the first big break was when after secondary school in Ghana and I, I decided to take a break from from school and work for a while, I discovered that some of my schoolmates were coming to the United States to study. And on doing a little more research, I discovered that in rare instances, you could win financial aid. And so I did my research, like I said, took the SAT, took the test of English as a foreign language, applied to nine schools, I think. Didn't get into most of them, but got admitted to Connecticut College in New London. And not only did I get admitted, but I won a grant, full tuition and board scholarship so that was the first big break. And so I came here in 97 uh, and, and, and did my, uh, my undergrad. The second big break was in 2008. I had just finished business school. I had been let go from Lehman Brothers. I was unemployed. I was wondering what to do. I had just signed up for the first level of the CFA exam. And then I got an email from a strange organization, an organization I hadn't heard of before. And, you know, they said, We saw your profile online and we're trying to fill an interesting job. And we think you should come and interview. And the job description, you know, made sense in some ways, but did it make sense in other wait, ways?
1: Wait. So when they reached out to you, Brian, they actually said, we'd like you to fill an interesting job. We, we, we'd,
0: we'd like you to come and interview for an interesting job. So, oh my goodness. So the recruiter, the recruiter who emailed me was at Vonage, the voice of an IP company, but he made it clear he wasn't recruiting me for a job at Vonage. It was at some, but it wasn't clear what this interesting organization, what this interesting
1: job. This sounds very <laughs> shady at the moment. I'm, I'm quite I mean, suspicious. I mean the,
0: the right thing for anyone to have done would be to be like, this is a joke. I'm going to hit delete. This doesn't make any sense. But like I said, I'm, I, I, I'm curious. I'm like, I need to learn more. Ultimately, what happened is it was a job at a single family office as the second employee at that single family office whose responsibility was to figure out how the single family office could start doing direct
1: investing. Okay, so Brian, give our listeners that yeah. that aren't familiar with family offices, just give them a quick snapshot. What is your kind of definition of what a family office is?
0: So a family office is simply, you know, Tommy has done well for himself, probably has built a business, has had a great outcome, has has generated a lot of wealth. And at this point in Tommy's life, Tommy doesn't want to spend his personal time managing that wealth. And so he hires people whose job it is to be custodians of of his wealth. And it can either be in the context of a single family office, which means that the team will just be managing Tommy and Tommy's uh, family's wealth. Or it could be a multi-family office, in which case it's many families' wealth put together and there's one team that oversees it. That's the very simple. There, there, there are a lot of complexities, but that's the really simple uh, definition of what a family office is.
1: So listeners, this is like a really good problem to have. You've sold your company for so much money yep. that now there's a lot of complexity yes. in maintaining all of your tax issues yes. and bill pays and... And then you're trying to do investments. And what a lot of family offices do is they will invest in funds. So funds like Mammoth or funds like Brian's Venture Capital Fund or private equity funds, real estate funds. Some of the more sophisticated family offices want to actually do direct deals where they're investing in a group of founders, very similar to how a fund would do that. And so what you just heard Brian say is he was brought in at that early stage when that family office was transitioning from doing investments into funds into doing some direct investment where they're investing in one business opportunity at a time.
0: So that's 2008. And so I, I, um, you know, I, I, I go and I interview. And at that point, I didn't have any investing experience, right? Like, talking to them was my first exposure to family offices and so i kept i kept progressing in the interview and i kept thinking there's no way i'm going to get this job because wall street is hemorrhaging people with years and with years of experience who've done this before there's no way i'm going to get this job but hey i keep progressing in the interview so so why not? And to my complete surprise, at the end of the process, they called me and they said, Brian, we'd love for you to come and do this. I said, when, when can
1: I, when can I start? That's a big one. Did you ever find out? Did you ever get the opportunity to ask them, like, why did you hire me? So not directly, but between
0: reading between the lines, you know, once I joined and, and we were working, I actually spent 10 years with the organization uh, uh, and, and the family office is Jeff Citron's uh, family office. So Jeff Citron uh, made his name in high frequency trading, built a company called Daytech Online, built another company called the Island ECN. And then his, his, his most recent uh, venture is, is, is Vonage, the voice of an IP company. So between the lines, I think it was a couple of things. I think one, my knack for being self-sufficient in terms of learning things, teaching myself things and reaching conclusions that make sense. I think that was one. Uh, There was one day when we were in a meeting and he said, yeah, Brian doesn't get intimidated by anyone, which is one of the reasons he's here. And so I think, I think that quality of not getting intimidated by, by, by anyone was another. And then I think a third thing that probably played a role is that when I was interviewing, I recognized that I was at a great disadvantage because of my lack of experience. And so I proactively said, look, I know... In terms of experience, I don't have what would be ideal on paper. But here is a sample of my work, just to give you a sense of the sort of standards I set for for myself. And I discovered later on that when I submitted my work sample, they went back and asked all the other candidates to submit
1: (laughs) A work sample. <laughs> to submit a so, work sample.
0: And then they asked me if I had another work sample I wanted to submit. I, and I did. I said, yes, here's another here's another work here's another work sample.
1: <laughs> so Brian, you just gave some of our listeners uh really a formula for getting from point A to point B if they're wanting to kind of elevate their game. And so if I can break that down, I think what I heard you say was part of it was just that this Willingness to admit where your shortcomings were and be really upfront with that, not try to hide it. There's a there's a layer of trust that that builds immediately with that organization. I think you also uh, you did know what your gifts were and you brought those to the table. And and even though it was in the interview process, they probably experienced right away that you didn't get intimidated through that process. And that willingness to go after a job that you may have been underqualified for in some respects, boy, that's I think a lot of people sell themselves short thinking I have to have already done it to go try to do it. Well, by definition, you can never (laughs) go, you can never get started if that's how it has to work. Exactly, if
0: that's how it has to work, yeah.
1: And Brian, our our listeners can, can, I'm sure, sense this already, but I'm going to give you what I think is really the third big key of why they chose you is, man, you just have such a magnetic personality. (laughs) Thank you. If I go to New York City, I have my short list of friends that are like these lifelong friends. And then there's you and you uh, you will be at the top of my list to make sure we get together. So
0: thank you.
1: Okay, so you join this family office. You start doing some of the direct investing, but somewhere along the way, you become like the guy at the intersection of supply chain logistics and, and what's happening in that world. So how does that bridge come about?
0: So, you know, 2008, I joined and immediately I discovered that the family office has two investments, a fine dining company and a private jet company. As you can imagine, in 2008, those companies were struggling. And so the first assignment was just help these companies stay alive, and then we'll figure the rest out. So that took all my time until, let's say, mid-2010. And then the family started discussing the idea of setting up a venture fund, right? A venture fund of its own. And so by 2011, J- uh, Jeffrey Parkinson, my partner, a, a former uh, colleague, he joined us as employee number three and he and i and jeff citron set out to build to build a venture fund so that fund became you, you know across two funds across two vehicles was 98 million dollars of aum we made something like 51 investments so now let's fast forward to 2015 After having been a generalist investor for for some time, I started trying to figure out what I should specialize in, right? So do I remain a generalist? Do I become a specialist? As luck would have it, I was studying a software company from Canada that was building software for trucks. I didn't know anything about trucking at that time. But I liked the team. I liked the problem that they were solving. It seemed intriguing. And so like I do with everything else I dive I dove in and started teaching myself about trucking. And that quickly led me to learn about supply chain more broadly, which is, you know, logistics, supply chain management and supply chain finance. Right? Those three areas are what make up supply chain broadly speaking. And as I thought about it more and more, it dawned on me that as time unfolds, Issues in global supply chains are going to become more problematic. And at the same time, the technology required to solve those sorts of problems is now mature enough to be implemented in global uh, supply chains in a meaningful way. And so I just became convinced that that's where I should position myself, right? I should be the person that's at the intersection of global supply chains early stage technology and innovation. And I mention innovation because I'm not interested in technology and supply chains just for technology's sake, right? I'm interested in technology and supply chains in terms of how it can improve people's lives, how it can solve problems related to climate change. How it can ensure that uh, people are more effective at their work. How it can ensure that companies are doing what they need to do in a more efficient, more effective, more sustainable way. That's my my interest in, in, in supply chains. And so I think that aspect of innovation, right, and not just technology and supply chains, but innovation as well.
1: So, Brian, let me ask this. Uh, Most of our listeners probably know what you mean when you say supply chain and logistics. But for that segment of our listeners that is unfamiliar with supply chain logistics, can you just tell them, you know, what is it that you're talking about?
0: Yes. So a supply chain, the simplest way to think about a supply chain is that it is a network of organizations That makes it possible for whoever produces something to get it to whoever wants to buy that thing. And you have supply chains for physical products. You have supply chains for services. You know, if you take a look around you, everything that you can see Is there because of some sort of supply chain, right? The the headphones we're using, the computers we're using. I think the pandemic has taught all of us that things don't just things don't just magically fall out fall out of the sky somehow, right? They have to get made, Uh, and so that's what that's what a supply chain is. And so, as you can imagine. In this complex network, which now spans all parts of the globe, right, things are coming in from China through Los Angeles and Long Beach, and then getting trucked across the country. Throughout that supply chain, there are various points at which technology and processes and people have to come together and and function to, to produce the goods that we depend on.
1: So Brian, I want to I want to circle back in a few minutes to this aspect of innovation and the types of investments that you're able to do. But prior to that, I want to just go into a couple of current events that are on my mind as it relates to supply chain. I mean, we are here as we're recording, we're in late 2021. Yes. And right now, there are hundreds of ships stuck outside of Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah. That are delivering some of those goods that people are wanting mm-hmm. to buy. Mm-hmm. So, how, does, how is that an impact of supply chain? And, and what color might you share with what's happening?
0: So, the problem is a complex one because, like I said, supply chains are complex. But from my perspective, what's happening at the ports in California, uh, Los Angeles, and Long Beach is that they've Inadvertently become a bottleneck. Right? They've become a, a bottleneck, and the reason they've become a bottleneck is because demand has outstripped the capacity of logistics uh, service uh, providers. And, and logistics is that part is that aspect of su- of supply chain that's involved with actually physically moving stuff from where it is made to where it's going to be to be consumed. Um, and so they've they've become a bottleneck in that process. I think there's an attempt to cast to cast blame and to make it seem as if this is something that was never an issue it's only becoming an issue now and and you know depending on who you talk to it's the port that's to blame or it's the trucking companies that are to blame or it's the shipping companies uh, that are to to blame I think it's more it's more nuanced than that I think for a long time different entities in that chain have not invested in technology as much as they could have and so for example you know and this is just my perspective the the systems and processes for determining when containers should be at the ports when trucks should come into the ports how you match those to one another and ensure that the flow of uh, goods at the port is, is, is as efficient uh, is, and as optimized as it can be. It's not, it's not where it should be. And I know this because for a while I was studying port optimization software and I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. The ports, the ports should all be implementing this. And I quickly discovered that no, the ports were not as excited about port optimization software as I was. And so I stopped I stopped paying attention. And you know, if people look at my Twitter timeline, there will be times where I say, Yeah, in hindsight, it seems like port optimization software would have been a great would have been a great idea. Now, I don't want to make the claim that port optimization software would have prevented this problem, but I think it would have I think it would have helped.
1: Yeah at least alleviated it. Yes,
0: yes. There, there are articles you read where, you know, truck drivers say something like they're waiting in line to get into the port for something like, I don't know, six hours, five hours, three hours, right? And that's the sort of thing that a software system could prevent. It's, it's much better to wait for 30 minutes than to have to wait for four or five or six or even for three hours.
1: That's great. So, the other current event that's kind of transpired in my world, Brian. So, I am a product through and through of the Great Lakes. Mm -hmm. You know, I grew up all over Lake Michigan. Uh, You know, I've lived uh, in the Great Lakes area my entire life. I love it. And one of the things that's been so fascinating to me is when they dug the Erie Canal, they did not assumed that boats were going to be as large as they are today. And so here we have this entire uh, entire problem that's caused because they made the canal too too skinny. And now on top of that, we have all these shipping companies coming in and dumping their seawater ballast into the freshwater Great Lakes and it's wreaking just absolute havoc on the ecosystem of the Great Lakes. One of the solutions I've heard proposed is that we ought to stop all shipping right at you know, the entryway to the Great Lakes and move it all to trucks at that point, and that we would actually spend way less if we paid for those trucks than we would pay on trying to just fix the ecology of the Great Lakes every single year. It's like a massive multi-million-dollar difference. One of my favorite books of that I read a couple of years ago was called "The Life and Death of the Great Lakes," and it was all about this supply chain and logistics and ecosystem and how they all relate. So when you hear Brian also saying things like "it does impact our environment," it does. There, there are huge, huge implications on our environment based on the way that we handle supply chain logistics. That's an excellent
0: point. In fact, the way I describe it is, is that supply chain and, you know, wh- whether you want to call it pollution, the climate crisis, the climate emergency, climate change, pick your word of choice, right?
1: <laughs> lack of lack of good sport fishing
0: <laughs> also. Also, right. they are opposite sides of the same coin. All these issues we're encountering are happening because of the way we have designed and managed our supply chains, right? How we make things, how we transport them, how we dispose of waste, right? Whether we're recycling or not, whether we're, we're recycling plastics, whether we're recycling uh, uh, waste apparel, it's all related, uh, just like you said.
1: Well, hopefully that gives a little bit of context of some of the challenges that, you know, that need to be solved and I'm so thankful that you have an actual venture fund set up that specializes in trying to solve these problems. So, tell us more about that. So, how did you actually bridge into having your own venture fund that was actually specializing in supply chain and then how do things stand Today, today. So I, I
0: left my old fund, uh, KEC Ventures, in uh, late 2018. And at that point, I had met my current partner, Lisa, who is, is a GP in the fund. Uh, both of us are co-founders of the fund. So, so I had met her in 2016. And I joke with people, I say, our first conversation was hilarious because she was working on understanding, you know, supply chains and innovation and technology in the fashion and apparel industry. And I was working at that point on, understand, on understanding those same issues in logistics. And uh, so she was going, you know, supply chain, supply chain, fashion and apparel, fashion and apparel. And I was going supply chain, supply chain, logistics, logistics, logistics. But it, it quickly became clear that we, we, were, we were enthusiastic and passionate about the same things. And so we would, we would compare notes uh, almost daily. Eventually in 2017, we started a supply chain meetup in New York. That's what's on my T-shirt. And then when I left my old fund in uh, late 2018, we, ha- we had a conversation and we said, look, All the evidence we've seen since we first met, since either of us first uh, started to study this topic, suggests that this is going to be the biggest opportunity as time unfolds. And so why don't we go out and build a fund to pursue that opportunity? Where things are right now, we launched a rolling fund on AngelList that's really targeted at individual investors. And we just started uh, putting the ink on paper to launch a, to, to to launch an institutional fund for family offices and institutions and endowments and, and corporations that uh, that have an interest in
1: this area too. And what size of a fund are you raising?
0: So uh, the institutional fund, because we're doing it as a five hundred six B, I can't divulge it. I can't divulge the details. But it's you know it's big enough that institutions that institutions can invest. Um, uh, in fact, I pitched I pitched one large institution just yesterday for the fund on Angel List. Our target is ten million dollars. Uh, the minimum commitment is twenty five thousand dollars. Again, that's really targeted at individual investors. So, yeah, the found on Angel list I can talk about. I can talk
1: about all day. <laughs> Absolutely. And Brian, you know, so part of my passion for the industry is to move the entire world to 506C. So, that would, and, uh, that would be amazing, right? That, that, would, that would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> we are we are passionately working on that, and you know, listeners, we're this is two venture capitalists right, kind it's, of it's, ner- it's, nerding out together. It's but, inside baseball, yeah. But but what what we mean by this is there are funds called uh, these are all private funds. There are funds called a five hundred six B, and those are actually private funds, and you can't talk about them publicly unless you know somebody is already pretty wealthy. And 506C funds, you're allowed to talk about them publicly. Uh, You don't have to know if your listener or your audience is already wealthy. You just have to verify that before you allow them to invest. And so that's how you hear us do a commercial in the middle of this show where we actually talk about the Mammoth Health and Tech Fund because we're a 506C. I can do that. And that's why you hear Brian have to have to get very tight lipped because we the great venture capitalists out there really do have a lot of respect for our regulators. And we wanna make sure that we honor their expectations. Yeah. And so I appreciate Brian's unwillingness to say it's not him, <laughs> it's not him being- a
0: listeners are probably like, wait, he was so talkative and jovial, yeah, why did no. he suddenly become?
1: <laughs> yes, he, uh, I promise you listeners, he is, he is doing the right thing. He is not trying to be deceptive in any way. So that is just him meeting his regulatory burden, which is our license to do business. So good on you. That's excellent. We'll talk more later, Brian, about uh, 506C and how we're making that so simple. That's been part of our story. We kind of accidentally stumbled upon. To take us a little bit deeper, tell me in the supply chain logistics space, what is the problem that is the most exciting for you that you see right now that, man, if you had someone that was actually solving this, you would just be absolutely thrilled? The thing that excites
0: me about supply chain is that there are many problems. (laughs) There are many problems. Supply chains are so complex and so vast that there are lots of problems. If I could summarize the problems into one thing, and this is one category in terms of how we think of investing, it would be the use of data and information to make better decisions. I think that's, that's the overarching thing. So these days, we know that almost everything is producing data at every point in time. So vast quantities of information, vast quantities of data, quantities of information and data that human beings can't always process well. But with the state of computational tech, uh, technology these days, we can use the combination of computers and human beings to make better decisions than we could in the past, right? So let's let computers do the things that software and computation does best, and then let's empower human beings to do the things that people do best. I think that's how I would that's how I would summarize it. And the way we think about our fund is as being industry agnostic right so think of supply chain as a horizontal that cuts across all industries and our job is to get smart about what's going on in different industries and make and make the investments that we think will do well for for our for our investors
1: Oh, man, Brian, this has been absolutely tremendous. Thank you for sharing. Thank you. And, you know, we're moving into my favorite part of the show where I get to ask two questions. The first is the question that uh, everybody's wondering about, which normally is actually something that only I am actually wondering about. And I already let our audience know what I want to ask you about today is actually what I believe uh, a lot of our audience would be really curious to hear. So you came to America as a 23 year old from Ghana, yes. a- and now you are a venture capitalist in New York. Uh, my question for you is: Is the American dream still alive?
0: Yes, in my in my opinion, uh, and and again, this is this is my opinion, and, and given my experience, the the American dream is is still alive. I say. As a young person in Ghana growing up, it never occurred to me, um, I never had the desire to go anywhere else to further my my education. It was either I stayed at home in Ghana or Nigeria and did my education there and built a career, or if I was going to go abroad, it would be to come to, to the United States. And, you know, when I say that, I don't want to to be misinterpreted into uh, the belief that everything is perfect. I think one of the things that I admire about society in the United States is that more so than anywhere else that I have lived uh, or that I have read about, the United States is the one place where society is willing to grapple in the open. With the problems that exist, right? Do problems exist? Yes, they exist. The problems exist wherever you go in the world, and there are human beings. Society is going to have problems. In some parts of the world, those problems are, you know, they're shoved, they're shoved in the dark, and society pret- pretends, no, that's not an issue here. In the United States, as painful and as ugly as it is, those problems are dealt with for the most part in, in the open, and that's something. That's why I say the American dream is, is alive and well, that yes, the problems exist. Everyday people of different kinds, of different uh, persuasions are, are, are trying to fix them. Uh, 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 do they always succeed? No, but at least they're trying. Um, and then, like I said, in my case, I, I, I don't think there's another place in the world where someone like me could have had the experience that, uh, that I have had. Um, uh, and, and so, for those reasons, I, I believe that the American dream is, is alive and well. Now, I'll caveat that by saying, and this is tied to, I'll tie this back to supply chains and the climate crisis and whatnot. Last year in March, around the 20th of March, um, myself, uh, uh, Craig Fuller, who is the CEO of uh, Freight Waves, and my partner, uh, uh, Lisa. We wrote an open letter to the supply chain caucus of the House of Representatives. And one of the points we made is that, you know, supply chains are this complex uh, intersection of uh, social systems, technological systems, economic systems, environmental systems. And if any one of those systems fails, supply chains break down and fail. And I think we're starting to see that now. And so one of the things that I worry about personally is the, is the social and economic side, right? And you, 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 you brought up the question of the ports and the bottleneck that's been created at the ports. And, you know, we didn't get into this, but one of the things I believe, I believe very strongly is that the way the United States, and I'm using, I'm using the term broadly, the way truck drivers are treated in the United States leaves a lot of room for improvement. There, there's, there's a lot to be desired in the way that truck drivers are, are treated. As we've discovered, the trucking industry is the bedrock, is the bedrock on, which, on which everything else is built, right? Yes, shipping is important, but trucking is just, is just as important. You know, it it behooves the government at the federal level, at the state level, to think about ways to ensure that employment conditions for truck drivers are. Uh, improved and and not just truck drivers, but for anyone that w- that we would put in that category of essential workers, right? Which is a term <laughs> that, that we all became familiar with d- during the, the pandemic, right? But anyone that we consider as an essential worker, right? If these people were all to get up and quit, our society would come to a screeching halt. I think it behooves us as a society to to think about how. We strengthen the conditions of employment for those people to ensure that for all the hard work that they do, that they're able to live a a a satisfying life. I don't think any of them is asking to be in the one percent or or whatever the wealthiest uh, category of people is. But you know that they can take care of their families, they can send their kids to school, they can meet the the cost of healthcare when when they need to. To deal with a health crisis, um, and retire and live comfortably, right? I don't think that yeah. is—I don't think that's too much to ask.
1: Yeah, they want those basic living uh, conditions that we all want, and uh, you know, maybe if I can go back to something we learned about earlier in the episode, they're not asking for a family office. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. They're, they're, yeah. not, they're not asking for a family office. They're not even asking to be
1: accredited investors. <laughs> well, Brian, I appreciate that. And I, I know that means a lot to our listeners uh, who, you know, so many of them are proud that we do have a country where you can be vocal about our problems and challenges and to have a country where someone can come from Ghana at age 23 and end up as uh, one of the most highly specialized venture capitalists in New York City. I mean, I'm just so proud of you, man. I'm I'm so thankful uh, you make venture capital look good. And we're so thankful that you're out there for the entire industry doing that. And that's a great segue. I'm sure I'm certain that some of our listeners, you know, we, We treat our audience very much with an open hand. Obviously, we hope some of them are excited to invest with us in our healthcare and tech fund, uh, but we treat our listeners with an open hand and some of them may be really excited to invest in logistics Mm -hmm. and supply chain way more than they care about healthcare. And if that's them and they're interested in investing alongside you, how do they do that?
0: The easiest way to do that is to go to our website, refashioned.com. And refashioned is spelled without the E at the end. So just uh, refashioned without an E. Or the other thing that they could do is type my name into Google. And I'm I'm certain somewhere on the first page, uh, they'll find our website. So there are two funds. There's, you know, there's the institutional fund, which I can't say anything about, but happy to talk to people who want to learn more about it, especially if the, the, the family office types. And then there's the uh, 506C fund on AngelList, uh, which which I'm also happy to talk to people about. And actually, all the information related to the 506C fund is, is publicly available on our website. I'll make one last comment, um, tying back to something you said, Tommy, which is that People might be more excited about supply chain and logistics technology than they are about healthcare. One of the most promising areas we're studying is supply chains and healthcare. Um. <laughs> I love it.
1: Well, well then, uh, Brian, we may end up as co investors. partners. We might. We so, might. Let's get the fundraising
0: I, done, and then and then yes. let's and then let's talk about co-investing.
1: <laughs> Anything you come across in healthcare related to logistics supply chain, we yep. expect to be your first yep. phone call. Yep. yeah. So. No, this has been tremendous. Uh, absolutely one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. So, Thank Brian, thanks for, thanks for making the time with us. Thank and uh, obviously, we wish you nothing but success and anything we can do at Mammoth to help you, uh, you along the way we want to do. And listeners, seriously, if uh, any of you are interested, go check out uh, what Brian's doing. So, refashioned.com yep. Yep. and no E on refashioned.com yep. or you can go to AngelList. And look for the Refashioned Fund or type into Google Brian Awe. And Awe is A-O-A-E-H. A-O-A-E-H. Definitely connect with him on LinkedIn. Follow him on Twitter. Uh, You know, this is a guy that you want to be connected with. And listeners, uh, as always, we always want to disclose any conflicts of interest. At this moment in time, in late 2021, uh, we do not have any... Thing to disclose or any conflicts. We do not have any co-investments. However, by the time you're listening, uh, I hope maybe we do. Yeah. So there's your futuristic disclosure. Uh, we are so thankful that you've been here today with us at Beyond the Ordinary. And Brian, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you, Tommy. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Ordinary. This podcast is brought to you by Mammoth and produced by Reverb. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about Mammoth and Beyond the Ordinary, visit us at mammoth.vc.